Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning, and the first passage we're going to turn to, I'm not going to be in the book of Acts this morning, but uh, the book of Ecclesiastes I'm going to start with, and I want you to follow with me today. I want to consider a serious question of wisdom, and I thought this would be a good subject to start off the new year, and it's the subject of how will you die how will you die? If any of you are readers and remember church history, there was a man called D.L. Moody, named Moody Bible Institute, named after him. He lived in the late 1800s, and he was a man who actually was uh, somebody who helped establish the YMCA, the Young Man's Christian Organization Association. And he lived during the Civil War. Even though Moody did not join, or was he part of the Union Army, which he would have been if he did join, he did have a deep passion and desire to see some of these young men who were going off to battle to become believers and hear the gospel. One Sunday on Monday, April 6th, and then April 7th in 1862, the second great battle of the Civil War was one of the bloodiest ones at the Battle of Shiloh. On that day, those two days, 10,700 Confederate soldiers died. 13,000 Union soldiers died. 100,000 men were severely wounded. They called up the Chicago area where Moody ministered, and he heard the call, came down to uh, where the war was taking place, and he, with, with the mission to tell them of the one who is the water of life, Jesus Christ. And so the mission of the ones he took with him was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can come and believe in him. He was going down the river on a boat taking one man back home to his mother after being severely wounded. And he recalled that incident. He said this, We were taking a large number of wounded men down the Tennessee River. A number of young men of the Christian Commission were with me, and I told them that we must not let a man die on the boat that night without telling him of Christ in heaven. You know, the cry of a wounded man, he said, is water, water. As we passed along from one to the other, giving them water, we tried to tell them of the water of life, of which if they would drink, they would never die. I came to a man who was about, who had about the finest face I ever saw and spoke to him, but he did not answer me. I spoke to him again, but he did not answer me. He was conscious, but he did not answer me. I sat down beside him and I gave him brandy and water and tried to minister to him. I'm going to leave that story right there. Leave it hanging there for you. And pick up my subject and come back to that at the end. For this reason, 
you may be thinking to yourself, I have come to church today in the beginning of this new year to hear something positive. And you are asking me to think about how I will, how I will die. Some may say, I, I, I won't hear it. That is not what I want to hear. In fact, it is the last thing I want to hear. Why would I want to hear such a morbid, gloomy, and morose subject on the first Sunday of the new year? Well, have you ever considered that the contemporary thinking on this issue is altogether twisted and wrong, and we are influenced by that thinking, more than possibly anything else, that the world looks at this subject of death basically in an academic way. Martin Lloyd-Jones said they look at it in a purely theoretical manner. And yea, even in a philosophical way, that death is a matter of opinion. It's what this person thinks about it and what that person thinks about it. Or it's according to your religious system and what they teach concerning death. See, the problem with dealing with it like this is they are all looking at this subject as if they are sitting on the sidelines and they are totally detached from the whole matter and the whole subject, not realizing that... We are more involved in this matter than we wish to admit. So in the end, we take the world's advice and we ignore the topic altogether. See, sin has twisted people's minds concerning this matter of dying so that there's so many false views of dying, they're innumerable. Some of them are, people think that dying is just, it's just the final misfortune. It's kind of the, the last hurrah. It's the last c- catastrophe that we have to go to, go through. That in the end, all don't want to think about this subject because it seems to spoil life. Some think of death simply that it's the finish line. We, don't, we just don't exist any longer. You die like a common beast, like a common animal. You go to the grave and, well, well, that's it. That's all there is to it. That's the end of the story, period. Many people, many people believe like that. There are others who believe that there is a life after death. That people will go on living just like they're living now, but in a different way in in a different dimension for different reasons some people and i have met a couple who have had long discussions with some who believe that they don't have any fear in death because they've had an out-of-body experience and they have said to me i've had i've had this experience and when i had it i felt Myself leave my body and my experience was favorable. I saw a white light and I felt warmth and I felt secure more than ever in my life. And after that experience, when I came back to my body, I never feared death after that. And these become what people think about this subject. 
Most are concerned, though, when you talk with them just about the physical part of death. They are only concerned about how they will die. How someone actually will die. How is it all going to end? Is it going to be old age? Is it going to be cancer? Is it going to be a heart attack? Is it going to be a, a car crash, a plane crash, or, or some disease, or maybe war? Maybe the disease of AIDS, or infection, or malaria, or pneumonia. They are interested in the inconsequential. And they remain ignorant of the vital issue of this particular subject. And that issue is, you are going to die. People are not interested in the fact of death. But it is because of these responses that you should think about how you will die. It is because you have not thought about it and that you have not thought very much about it if you have thought about it at all or that you have ignored this subject very conveniently. You have brushed it aside as not being very important at all. Did you know that the topic of death from a biblical perspective is a matter of wisdom or it is a matter of folly. Now, in saying that, take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. There's a few questions I want to ask you along the way. I want to glean some wisdom and wisdom worth receiving from this book great wisdom book of the Old Testament, considering you and I all, always consider things, what is good, what is, what is good, or what is better for me, right? What's good or what's better? I'm going to leave the best out of it, because the text doesn't go there. But what I consider, one will be profitable, one will be not profitable. So here's the question. What is better? Is it, is, is it better to think about birth or is it better to think about death? Well, I, I would, I'm going to answer for you. You would say it's, it's better to think about someone's birth, right? Matter of fact, I want to think about someone's birth. We celebrate birthdays all the time, right? So what's better? Well, let's look at the scriptures. Chapter 7, verse number 1 of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse number 1. Let me just get there. It says, A good name is better than good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now, let me stop there. There's much more of soberness surrounding death than birth. Birth is a time of rejoicing. And as, as I just said, birthdays, it's a time of happiness. But there is something more realistic and reflective and sobering, thought-provoking about the day of one's death 
than one's birth. The passage further expands on this sobering thought with the better words in it. And if you notice the next one, if, here's the question. What's better, a funeral or a wedding? Well, I'll answer for you again. You're going to say a wedding. It's fun to go to weddings, right? Look at verse number 2 of Ecclesiastes 7. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Now, from that text, the house of mourning was an expression used to refer to a person who died. A place where a funeral took place. The funeral helps remind people that they will die. The wedding feast was a celebration. It was a time of feasting. But not much is learned from fun and pleasure. So it is better from Ecclesiastes to face the reality of death than to be caught up in the party spirit of feasting at a wedding celebration. Look at part 2 of verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 7. It says, because this is the end of every man, and the living take it to heart. Meaning this, that someone who is wise is going to take to heart that not the celebration of a marriage or the celebration of a birth, but they're going to take to heart the most sobering, the better part of what my mind ought to be thinking on, and it's simply this, I am going to die one day. Again, here's the next thing. What's better, cheerfulness or laughter or sorrow? What's better? Well, I'm going to answer again for you. Cheerfulness, right? Look at verse number 3 of Ecclesiastes 7. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. See, the Hebrew word for sorrow is also used in other places in Scripture to refer to anger, grief, frustration. One man said it this way, the point of the passage is that a troubled face reflects reality and thus shows that one is not living in denial. In other words, there is a soberness that comes over us when there's sorrow. Now, in all that, from Ecclesiastes, what is the best place for the thoughts in our mind to be dwelling? Well, look at it says in verse number 4, and it answers that question. What's better, mourning or pleasure? In verse 4, the mind of the wise is in the house of what? Mourning. And the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. So here is wisdom. Only fools live lives of pleasure, denying or ignoring the reality of their own death, while the wise person lives with the reality and awareness every single day that he will die. So according to Scripture, this is not a wrong way to think. This is quite a correct way to think. Of course, it's how you think about it. 
and what is going to be the end. Now, I'm setting you up, of course, and we're moving along. Consequently, with all this, may I say that there is no greater question as to how you will die. Now, now get this, kids, ladies, gentlemen, I'm talking to every one of you. Young people ought to think this way too. It was Jonathan Edwards as a young man who wrote and resolved, I will think every day about the day of my death. Some psychologists would say, well, you are warped and you need some deep help. But the scriptures would say, no, you are wise. And you are wiser than your teachers because you understand how to think on this particular matter. Because from a biblical perspective, there is only two ways in which you can die. And there are only two ways. There is not a third way. But before I show you what they are and the inevitable consequences of each one, let me give you some reasons why you should consider this subject with a heightened sense of, of seriousness and a clear-minded sobriety for this next coming year. Here's the first one. It's very simple. Everyone dies. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all what? Die. This is true of all of us. We cannot evade it. You will keep your appointment and guaranteed you will not be late for it. Here's another reason. The other side is unknown. We don't know what lies behind it. In fact, some say your guess is as good as mine. And people make up what's next. They may do it to comfort their conscience or, whatever, or their soul or whatever it may be, but they make it up. Now, these are some things to consider. Here's another thing, that you only have one shot at dying well. Now, we only do it once. There is no second chance. And if you only die once and you only have one chance at it, then you ought to perk up, open your Bible, and take serious notes because you do not get a second try at this. What does it say in Hebrews? Inasmuch as it is pointed for men to die, what? Once. Now, in life, you may have second chances on all kinds of things. You blow it at a job, well, there's a second chance to get another job. You blow it in a relationship, well, maybe there's a second chance to restore a relationship, to do it again. You, make a, you start a project or something and it falls apart, well, there's always a second chance. But when it comes to death, there is no second chance. So you know what that means? You've got to get it right the first time and the only time. 
Once I preached the message from the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, and I called, I titled it, One Lot, One Shot, One Plot. Because pretty much that's what we have. We have one lot. In verse number 19 of chapter 3, don't turn there, but there's three observations of looking at life from under the sun, without God in it, And um, it says there, it says, For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. One dies, so does the other. We're just like the animals in some way. In what way are we like the animals? Well, we're not guaranteed immortality on this side of, of life. Right? That we are going to die. Both animals and humans die. We also have one shot. Animals and humans have the same breath. It says in verse number 19 of chapter 3, Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast. Meaning what? That humans, like animals, have one shot at this life. Once your breath is gone, it's the end. Lights out. Avidurchi. Hasta la vista, baby. All right? That's... Where you're heading. No laughing matter, of course. Very serious matter, but we need to consider that from the Word of God. It even says in Psalm 49, it says, But man in his pomp, at the height of his life, at the, the great stature that he may reach in this world, it says that his pomp will not endure, he is like the beasts that perish. That at that point, death can sweep down and take you. He also has one plot. Humans and animals go to the same place. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20. All go to the same place. All came from the dust and all returned to the dust. We all have seen the death of animals. We have seen the death of humans. And the fact of the matter is every breathing creature dies. They both go to the grave, to the dust. Nothing can insulate us from the attack of death. The wise man has no advantage over the fool when it comes to death. Death has no respecter of persons. He's going to take the wise, the fool, the young, the old, at the height of your life, at the lowest in your life. It does not matter. But, let me just say this, that's not the whole story. According to Scripture, what is the great problem with humanity when we think about the subject is this. God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide the real needs of the human race. He provides them light. He provides us true knowledge. He provides us understanding. He provides us reconciliation with God and man. And He provides us with the truth that can lead to the resurrection of the body. All that is provided in the Word of God, and that is the message of the Gospel. He has offered everything that we need. Yet the world rejects Him. 
and still rejects him. And still refuses to this very moment not to believe in him. And yet, take your Bibles now and turn to John chapter 8. And yet, it is this very man, Jesus, who came into the world to solve our deepest problem. And he said this in John chapter 8 and verse number 12. He said, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, this is the Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 12. Look what he says. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness and will have the light of life. Now, anybody who could say that to someone and they turn around and reject him, there must be some madness and insanity to that. This is expressing the character of God, the compassion of God to reach out to people in a dark world and a world that they are dying and are at really at a very great disadvantage when it comes to death. And he's offering them light and life. And they still reject him. So you have to ask this question, why do they reject him? Well, here it is. They do not consider seriously the consequences of the way they die. That's what our next text is saying. Look it down to verse number 21 of Gospel of John, chapter 8. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, right? What it says in verse 21, Then he said to them, said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins any time in Scripture. The Bible repeats itself, especially the Lord himself says three times in just a few sentences, that becomes very important. What he is saying to these people and what he is saying to them, he is saying to us. Jesus says that the way you die has everything to do with how you respond to me as to whether you believe in me or you do not believe in me. That the very thing that will alter the very way you die is what do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus Christ? So, have you ever seriously considered your own death? Most have not considered the fact of death especially that death is supremely a spiritual matter. And that the question of Jesus Christ will be the most important issue there at death. When one dies, Jesus all of a sudden will be the most important issue. 
So here is the real issue and the real failure of what the world says about it. They're wrong. They don't look at it in the right way. Jesus is giving us a right perspective of death in this passage of Scripture. A failure to realize that the spiritual part of death, that is, the condition of a person's soul, is the most important matter at one's death. It does not matter how you die. It matters what is the condition of your soul when you die. Right? Because all of us here today are going to die from something. And I've been to many funerals, performed many funerals, stood by many bedsides of people dying, and their reactions are varied. But very few understand clearly the condition of their soul at the point of death especially if they have not considered Jesus Christ up until that point. And it's grieving to someone's soul who knows the truth that there is no more essential question than how you will die. This brings us back to what Jesus tells us. From a biblical perspective, there are only two ways you can die. And there are only two ways you can die. The only two ways of dying. Here's the first one. Verse number 21 of John chapter 8. You either die in your sins. That's the first one. Look what it says, verse 21. And he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 24, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. So, the first way a person could die is simply die in their sins. Now, you may ask, well, what does that mean to die in your sins? It means that you're going to die just the way you lived with your past your present sins attached to you like a heavy weight pulling you down a person being utterly helpless they cannot overcome it when death comes so there are unalterable consequences that come after death with somebody who dies in their sin What are some of those things? A person who dies in their sins, they don't know what's happening to them. They are ignorant to the fact of what's going on because they are dying in their sins as they lived. Ignorant to truth, ignorant to the light that leads them out of darkness, ignorant to the person that can cure this situation. They are ignorant, they are lost, they are confused at death. They are dying in their sins. They are dying in darkness. Second thing is, they live for physical pleasures, for things, for themselves. And they find that at death, what they lived for comes to nothing. It cannot help them. 
So utter helplessness surrounds them because the very things they live for provide no help at death. They can take nothing with them. Nothing could hold them up. Nothing can defend them. Another thing is that all of a sudden, they feel guilty at death before the Maker. How many times I've talked to people when they were close to death and they felt felt remorse and they felt guilty and they felt regret about the things that went on in their life and they can do nothing about it. But this guilt right here is a greater guilt. This is a guilt before their Maker that comes over them. And they become aware that He, at that point is responsible for every word, every thought, every deed that he has ever done before the eyes of God. That all his life he has suppressed the truth. He has not listened to his conscience. He has lived according to his likes, according to his desires, according to his passions, according to his sinful nature, without regard to God and his ultimate standard of truth, which will judge him at death. He is also dying alone. No one to plead his case. No one to rescue him from the condemnation of his, that his own sin brings and the wrath of God that now shuts him out of all that is good. He bears his just punishment alone with no advocate. Haven't you noticed that there is an attitude today in the world that thinks that there will be no judgment, that there will be no accounting of one's life before the sovereign judge of the, of the universe, that to think such ways, to think foolishly, most people say. But no matter what people think, the Scriptures have given sufficient warning to us that there will be a judgment, and in that judgment, the distinction between what is hidden and what is public and private collapses. Everything is open and made bare before the God who knows all things. See, judgment it is not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. That's what judgment is. And also, he knows something else at the point of death. He knows that he is unfit For the holy God and his pure glory is unfit to go there. Look what it says in the passage in verse number 23. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me. When will they seek him? They will seek him at the point of death. And they will not find him. And look what Jesus says. And and will die in your sin where I am going You cannot come. They have this sense that they cannot go where the holy God is. That they are shut out from it. They cannot go there. They sense an unfitness for heaven and they cannot enter it. He is dying in his sins, unprepared, ignorant, surrounded by them, they will be His unpleasant darkness for all eternity.
Isn't that bleak? That's only some things that we can say about a person who dies in their sin. That's the first way someone will die. But there's a second way, and there's no other way. Here's the second way. Look at verse number 24. The second way to die is to die in the Lord. Look what it says in verse 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. What does he mean there? Actually, that is the the great way of saying, Jesus is saying to them, unless, remember, the Pharisees, right? He's going to go on to say, they're going to go on to say to Jesus in John chapter 8, well, our father is Abraham, right? Jesus is saying in that statement, unless you believe that I am he, that I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and of Moses. I am the God of the living, not the God of the dead. If you believe in me, you will escape the condemnation and the wrath of God that comes with death. You will not be left in your sins. What does Revelation 14, 13 says? Listen to what it says. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. God delights from the Psalms in the death of what? His saints. There are some some unalterable consequences also after death for those who die in the Lord. It says in Revelation over these, the second death has no power. The death that can cast you into the lake of fire has no longer any power to do so. How is this? Well, saints are no longer guilty of sin. Yes, they have sinned like everyone else and were by nature, children of wrath. But their sins have been lifted from them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Their substitute has carried all their guilt and iniquity and has taken it completely away. It shall never be found against them forever. They wear the Savior's righteousness and have been washed in the blood and have been made clean and have been made free fit they now have the peace of god that passes understanding yes those who die in christ the fiery destruction of the flames of damnation cannot singe their clothing it cannot it can't even make them smell like they've been there because they are in christ Because they died, not in their sins, but in the Lord. Nothing can overcome them. Ever again. So Christians, at death, are not taken by surprise. They have been preparing for it. Maybe Christians more than any other people on the face of of, of this earth think about their own death. The Scriptures have been 
preparing them for God's presence. That's what they're looking forward to. That's what the Lord's table is for. I'm looking forward to the kingdom of God. Past this world. Past my death. To my resurrection. To when I will be with God with all the stuff holding, without all the stuff holding me back, right? That's what's going to happen. See, Christians are not guilty because they have been forgiven of their sins. They have redemption. The forgiveness of sins, as it says in Colossians. Christians are blameless and uncondemned at death. Jesus Christ has been their substitute and their sin bearer. Christians at death, they have rest and they have peace. Why? Because through the blood of the cross, they have been made peace. Christians, death is gain. Christ is taking the sting and provided the victory over death. Just like Paul says, what? For me to live is Christ, and what? To die is gain. That's an odd way to look at things. But that's the right way to look at things. He understood the two ways to die. The one way to die, to die in your sins, motivated him to what? To preach the gospel to dying men. And the other way to die, and the Lord gave him the peace to make it to the end, to know that this is not it. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what curveballs have been thrown your way, no, no matter what problems and situations you're in, maybe even right now, it is this very thought, how will I die? Will I die well? Because I got one shot at it. Will I die in the Lord? Do I know that for sure? Am I convinced of that now? That Christians are happy and joy-filled. Why? They're going to see their Savior's faith. As First John tells us, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. That is the desire of those who die in the Lord. That's why they're not taken by surprise. Not only that, Christians' death ushers them into the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? Also, Christians are fit for glory. Where their true citizenship will be. When you get to heaven, to glory, to the presence of God. You know what you're going to feel and know maybe for the first time ever? You're going you're gonna to know this. I'm home. I'm home. What all that home means, it's going to flood into that definition. And you're going to say, I'm home. I'm where I ought to be. I'm in the presence of my Lord and my God. Philippians tells us, chapter 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. It doesn't matter how you die. It matters that your soul has been prepared to meet God. It matters that you die in the Lord 
and you know it. You know it now while you're healthy and you have sound mind. You know it now, young people, when you're 5 and 10 and 15 years old and onward. You know it. Because either you'll die in your sins or you'll die in the Lord. There are no other ways to die. Let me get back to that story. Moody kept prodding him. And he said, I said to myself that I could not let him die without getting a message to his mother. Presently, he opened his eyes. And I said, Yes, you are on your way home, but the doctors say that you won't make it to your earthly home. And I thought, I'd like to ask you, is there a message I can give your mother? And Moody said that his face lit up with an unearthly glow, and he said, oh yes, tell my mother, that I died trusting in Jesus. It was one of the sweetest messages, Moody says, I ever heard in my life. And he says, I gladly delivered that message to the soldier's mother. And I said to her, your son died in the Lord. What greater message? What greater comfort can anyone have to know that if I stand by a casket or if I stand by a, someone in a hospital bed or if I stand by someone under hospice care in their home, that I know that that person laying there understands that there's two ways to die and they're dying in the Lord. And how heavy a thought it is to know if they're dying there in their sins, the horror that comes with that. So today, without delay, without delay, you need to come to Christ if you have not yet. You need to come to the one, the only one who could save your soul from eternal destruction. Jesus Christ is the only one who can do it. Because remember, the text says this, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So Jesus Christ will be the most important person at death. As he is the most important for those who know him in life. Amen? So this is the message for 2009. It is a gospel message. It is a message that should be on our mind all the time because if, as believers, we think of our death every day, then we will also live well. We will desire to live a holy life. We will desire to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and will hate those things that God does not delight in, right? That's what we'll do. So thinking about the day and when you die is a healthy matter. Healthy for your soul.
You think like that, you're going to say no to strong temptation to sin. You're going to say no to things that once you said yes to. You're going to deny yourself some things that once you did not deny yourself. Why? Because someday you will stand before God. That's why. And I want to be ready when that happens. But you get ready right now. Right now you get ready. So I pray for all of you this morning that you would come to die in the Lord and know it and live like that and cause everybody around you to can be convinced that that person, I, they knew the Lord. I'm not worried about them. They're, I know where they're at. They're not saying it with doubt. They're saying it with confidence. I know where they're at. Because of their profession of faith and because of the way they lived. And because they understood there's only two ways to die. To die in your sins or to die in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for the word of God. I know, Lord, that in it contains the words of life. And Lord, if we read on in this passage of Scripture, the Bible does tell us, and he spoke these things, and many came to believe in him. And so the word of God tells us, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Thank you, Lord, that the truth, even in this matter of death makes us free. Satan wants to hold us in bondage to this truth, but you make us free from it because, Lord, you are the resurrection life. And that anyone who believes in you, they, even though they die, they will live because you promised that even though our souls go into your presence, that our body and our soul will come together be reunited someday in the resurrection and we will live with you in your presence forever and ever. Lord, please, this morning, make us true evangelists that are concerned about people's souls. And Lord, those who don't know you today, I pray they would make that, they would make that matter right before you and trust in you honestly. Coming to you with their sins, knowing that you can give them rest for, to their souls. And then, Lord, all of us who do know you, Lord, that we would continue to walk faithfully in serving you with all our heart and mind and soul, that we would be ready to give ourselves over to the Spirit of God's control and say no to the flesh. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you would bless us this year with living our life more soberly but more joyfully in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in your name. Amen.